Hello and welcome to the Literature Podcast, A Novel Review. My name is Seamus, your host, and together we will discuss, dissect, and explore the wonderful world of literature, and the wonderful world of literature is a vast and dense jungle, so let's start making our way through, one book at a time. Hello, good day, and welcome to the beginning of another episode of A Novel Review, a podcast exploring the wonderful world of literature. My name is Seamus and I am your host, and for today's episode, a bit of poetry, because who doesn't need to step back from the great bodies of text and reacquaint themselves with the musicality of language? Today I am going to discuss and dissect a poem from Emily Bronte's arsenal titled Plead For Me, which is a wonderful piece of literature that explores our position in the world. But more on that a little later. First, I like to begin every episode with a mantelpiece moment, which is a chance to highlight and appreciate the artistic infiltrating the everyday. And mine comes this week from a little passage I wrote. I thought of this when I was out one morning for a run through a cemetery, and the passage goes like this. In the morning on the tube, bodies heaved atop bodies in the squalor of humanity's existence. Everyone is vying for position and dignity. But I wasn't on the tube today. I was in the graveyard, the silent spectacle of humanity's demise, and what I saw was no different. Headstones heaped atop headstones. Even in death, you had to fight for your position, for your dignity. So that was the piece. It's it, Cemeteries are such a curious thing to me. You know, I, I kind of love them in a non-weird way, of course, but walking them, I, I understand their position and their purpose. You know, there's religious reasons why people get buried, but it's also, it, it just seems to be such an odd thing in that in this particular cemetery, there are literally headstones heaved atop, atop headstones. And it's always interesting to walk through them because I, I myself don't want to be buried. I want to be cremated and I don't know, plant a tree or something. But to see all the headstones is curious. And I think they're curious because of what a headstone can actually say. I saw one particular one on this run, and I mean no disrespect by this, but but it had a very interesting sort of caption on it, I guess. I I don't actually know the word for it. Caption? Caption works. But the headstone wrote, you left us all in unbearable pain. And that was it. It had their name, their date of birth and, and departure, of course, but that was it. You left us all in unbearable pain. And I get what it's implying. Your absence has left a hole in our lives, but there was no mention that they were a good person or not. It was just, you left us in pain. So I don't know, it's it's kind of a curious thing, a headstone. Like, what would you write on your headstone? Essentially, it's one line to define your existence to strangers. It's a really curious thought about how our lives can break down to that singular line. Now, of course, they are much more, your existence is much more, it's succeeded by friends and family that carry your existence with them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know, it's still, it's still such a curious idea. So I don't, I don't know, I'm torn with them. One more thing, a listener reached out and said, please, please, please do an episode on Blood Meridian. And I this was on the back of the first episode, which was The Road by Cormac McCarthy, and Blood Meridian is also by Cormac McCarthy. Uh, the short answer is yes. You didn't have to say please three times. You didn't even have to say please once, to be honest. You could have just said, Seamus, do an episode on Blood Meridian. And I would have been like, yeah, no, that's fair. Like I, I, I absolutely want to and will. It's a book I've been needing and wanting to read for a second time but it's it's you know i probably could do an episode on it today but i definitely want an excuse to reread it so it's coming is the short answer but i don't know when 
but it's coming. It's coming. So keep your ears peeled. So on with the episode. Emily Bronte is one of those literary thorns in my side. I did not like Wuthering Heights at all, and this seems to be a very divisive stance. People seem to either love this book or not, and in my case, it's the latter, unfortunately. I was chatting to someone on Instagram about the reasons why and why not, and they made an interesting point. I don't like it, and I like I think I don't like it, because of the foundations are laid that it's an unrequited love story, and to me, it just didn't work that way. But, and this is a big but, the writing of Emily Bronte was unmatched. Now, this person that I was talking to understood my point of view and agreed and said that they had actually come across this book without being sold on the idea of an unrequited love story. They, in fact, came into it having no sort of understanding of what the background was. And so they read it as just this kind of quirky story. And so they actually really enjoyed it, which is great for them because, I I don't know, I would never care if someone loves or hates a story if they can detail why they love or hate it. Like, if, if if they say something like, oh, I hate it because it was shit. Well, like, okay, give me the reasons. Otherwise, it's sort of invalid. Like, it has more weight if you can articulate why and why not you like something. So, Emily, Emily Bronte. A beautiful writing style, but didn't sell me on the story. But the skill is there. That control of language that was taken from the world too early. How often have we said that about artists? So let's have a little background information to place her historically and contextually before we launch into this poem. Emily was born on the 30th of July 1818 and was the second youngest of six siblings. When Emily was three years old and all six children were under the age of eight, their mother died of cancer. In 1825, another two of Emily's sisters died attesting to the school they attended and its poor sanitation. They were all educated at home after this by their father and aunt, and Emily even went on to become a teacher at a law school in 1938 when she was 20. However, gave it up only a few months later due to her poor health cracking under the pressure of a 17-hour workday. And um, let's just pause the script right now because when I was researching this episode, and look, to be fair, I'd, I'd probably write it the same way, but I love the fact that it's always sort of they cracked under the pressure of a 17-hour workday as if she just couldn't cut it despite the fact that it was like straight-up abuse. You know, she couldn't quite cut it in our fast-paced and dynamic office. (laughs) I love my job. Shut up. No one wants to work seven hours, let alone 17. So I don't know. She she cracked under the pressure, guys. Surprise, surprise. Kelsapreets. Anyways, she returned home after, and over time, her health declined due to the harsh local climate and the fact that their water that they drank ran off from the church's graveyard meant that its quality was perhaps a little unsanitary and mixed with, well, let's just say some unpleasant things. Her brother Branwell suddenly died, and Emily caught the same flu, which then led to tuberculosis. But Emily remained stout that she would have, and I quote, no poisoning doctor near me. But her health continued to decline from this, and with her last audible words, she said to Charlotte, if you will send for the doctor, I will see him now. But it was too late. She died that same day at about two in the afternoon, and that's important, and I'll come back to that particular moment. So place a little mental peg in your mind about that, please. And what's incredibly sad about this is that Emily died at the the age of 30, thinking that she had failed at being a novelist and a poet. And in fact, her work was published by her sister who found it hidden after Emily's death. 
A few weeks ago, I spoke about how Cormac McCarthy has been able to live to see his best work and watch it ascend the ladder of one of the greatest works of literature. And I said how it was kind of rare. And this is just another case where the master died thinking that they had failed. So that's a little background information about her life. I think it's important to sort of understand this past even as briefly as this so that you understand some of the deeper threads that feed into the tapestry of her art. And as I said, I'll probably touch upon some of this when discussing her work. But I think for now, the poem, let's have a bit of a read and then I will tear it apart. Oh, thy bright eyes must answer now when reason with a scornful brow is mocking at my overthrow. Who thy sweet tongue must plead for me, and tell why have I chosen thee? Stern reason is to judgment come, arrayed in all her forms of gloom. Wilt thou my advocate be dumb? No radiant angel speak and say, why did I cast the world away? Why have I persevered to shun the common paths that others run, and on a strange road journeyed on, heedless alike of wealth and power, of glory's wreath? and pleasure's flower. These once indeed seemed beings divine, and they perchance heard vows of mine, and saw my offerings on their shrine, but careless gifts are seldom prized, and mine were worthily despised. So with a ready heart I swore to seek their altar stone no more, and gave my spirit to adore, thee have a present phantom thing, my slave, my comrade, and my king. A slave because I rule thee still, Incline thee to my changeful will, and make thy influence good or ill. A comrade for by day and night, thou art my intimate delight. My darling pain that wounds and sears, and wrings a blessing out from tears, by deadening me to real cares, and yet a king, though prudence well, have taught thy subjects to rebel. Am I wrong to worship where faith cannot doubt nor hope despair, since my own soul can grant my prayer? Speak, God of visions, plead for me, and tell why have I chosen thee. I mean, initial thoughts, somber. It's, I guess, an incredibly somber, reflective tone running through this poem. A pleading tone, one might say, if you'll indulge me just a little bit. So as you, I mean, might have heard, hopefully if I, I, I did some justice to the poem, there's a wonderful cadence and musicality to the poem. Its structure is relatively standard, rhyming couplets, stanzas, etc. So there isn't too much I don't feel to discuss there, but that's okay. There is a lovely depth beyond those stanzas, which I want to, which I want to touch on. So briefly, the poem is touching upon one's ability to make decisions and how you have to have faith in them, but sometimes how those decisions you made don't lead down the path you wanted it to. So what you're left with is you're left reeling, wondering why things are happening. This might give the idea that it's a bit, uh, let's say, that Emily's being a bit arrogant, like, Oh, why are bad things happening to me? Meanwhile, you set a course for destruction for the last 10 years of your life, you know, gambling and drinking or something, and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, why is my life not together? I don't think she's trying to get at it in that way. I think she's more trying to say, she's more talking about decisions that have been made for the right reasons, and and as a result of that, you're putting faith in something larger. So I have a personal example, I guess. Recently, I was looking for a job after moving to London from Sydney, and 
you know, my whole life I've kind of worked to get a good education from a reputable place. And so therefore you have faith that you will get a good job and that the skills from that job will develop and lead to a better job. But sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And despite the fact that you have all these skills and requirements, bells and whistles, you, you simply aren't getting the job in the timely manner that you considered you would. <laughs> I can almost bet that my parents will listen to that to this episode and call me waving school reports around in my face telling me that I should have worked harder (laughs) actually no they can't because they wouldn't have a school report to wave around because I made sure to intercept all those little bastards before they got home (laughs) but back to the episode uh so I kind of think that so I kind of think the pleading that Emily is touching upon is the is the pleading for guidance when things you have been told and raised to believe fail you. See in the opening of the poem, when reason with a scornful brow is mocking at my overthrow. Emily feels as if her reason has turned on her and is now mocking her, and this is when she turns to God for guidance. The poem says, No radiant angels speak and say why I did cast the world away. And it's this questioning that Emily has embarked upon that is the crux of the poem. Because once you begin to doubt yourself, everything can be called into question. And I think while there might not be hope in the poem, there is hope in the meaning after the reading. And I mean the title embodies this hope within society. Plead for me. For me. But then again, this can be problematic because it's going back to this idea that there's something higher than ourselves to plead to. You read a lot about suicide survivors and how those that have tried and failed realise that in those few seconds that go on to define and destroy, how they regret it. They regretted kicking the chair away. And I think there's something in that, and I don't know this, but maybe up until that moment they still have hope that someone will come for them, will present themselves and save them, and yet someone doesn't. And it's almost in that moment of clarity of realization that they are alone, do they understand what that means? That might sound incredibly cynical or terrible even, but in it, there is almost a strong sense of beauty in that moment. Now I'm talking about that moment here specifically, not the situation of suicide, because that is the one of the highest orders and failures of human deliverance, but instead that moment of understanding we are alone. Because when you hit rock bottom like that, do you understand that everyone else is down there with you trying to get out? Now, of course, people can support you. They can love you. They can help you. My parents do this all the time, especially in regards to podcasting for another example. But they aren't going to record the episodes for me. I'm alone in this venture. Think back to when I asked you to put a mental peg in that little little piece of information. Emily refused the help of the doctors, her faith still firmly intact. Her belief that her faith would deliver her from harm, but it wasn't until she had fully conceded to the idea of singular aloneness did she ask for help. And unfortunately, as so often is the tragic case, it was too late. Now this isn't a commentary on religion. I'm not trying to convince people not to have faith. In fact, I think what I'm actually trying to say is, have more faith in yourselves. And that's what I think the afterglow of this poem is. The poem itself ends with this desperate plea for help. Speak, God of visions, plead for me, and tell why I have chosen thee. Emily is still asking why she made the decision she has. 
she is still seeking guidance. There was this great line in the 2022 book of winning novel, The Seven Moons of Malian Media, and it went something along the lines of, your God created you, what more do you want? And I love it because it's a comical take on God's absence in the lives of those who have faith. You know, why doesn't God just talk to us if he's real? Why doesn't he just present himself in front of us if he's real? But the author, Shehan Karuna Talaka, instead took a more logical approach free from ego. God created you and you still want more? I don't think so, buddy. So if you could take anything away from this poem, it's to trust yourself. Have faith in yourself. Sometimes life does go amiss. Sometimes decisions you make are bad ones in the overall scheme of life, but have faith that you can pull yourself out of it. So that was Emily Bronte's poem, Plead For Me. So what am I reading this week? This week I have begun on perhaps a bit of a happier note than than the, the rest of the episode, Brother of a More Famous Jack by Barbara Trapedo. And... I am breezing through this book. Expect an episode on it soon because this book is fun. It's painted sort of uh, like I don't know, similar to Brideshead Revisited in the sense that it's about the decline of one generation, except while Brideshead is very, very somber, this novel is so much fun. It's incredibly comical. The characters are all sort of this very highbrow intelligence that leads to almost abusive if, if, if you sort of didn't quite understand the family dynamic of it all. But it's just one of those books that makes reading a joy. And from what I have seen, it seems to fly under the radar a lot. I hadn't heard of it before it was recommended by someone. So check it out if you want. I think it's it's bloody good stuff. Now, as always, if you've come this far, please like and subscribe, five-star reviews, head along to the website if you'd like to support the podcast. Anything is appreciated. I really appreciate you all for listening. So I think it's time to end this ep. Uh, let's have a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson inspired from my walk in the cemetery and he says few people know how to take a walk the qualifications are endurance plain clothes old shoes an eye for nature good humor fast curiosity good speech good silence and nothing too much <laughs>